0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. How many of you have purchased a copy or own a copy of Wide Awake? Raise your hands really high. Awesome. How many of you now are actually reading the book? Ah, All right, good job, well done. So if you're reading, you know we are uh, looking at the chapter or theme entitled Expect. So let's go ahead and take a moment to pray and we'll begin this conversation. Father, thank you so much for being good to us and thank you for being a God who, who moves us towards you and moves us with hope towards a future. And so what I pray is for folks who are maybe struggling in a default setting of their lives that uh, you help us risk expecting you to come in and change us and help us live the life of our dreams. In your son's name, Amen. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're turning there, I'm going to suggest that, you know, if you're going to try to live the life of your dreams, you're going to uh, experience failure. That's just what's going to happen. In fact, even if you don't try to live the life of your dreams, you're going to experience failure. Failure is just part of what happens. However, folks that continue to move forward, they have a different view of failure. What their view is, is that they don't take it personally and they don't think of it as being permanent. So there's two things, when something goes wrong, when you've actually invested and you've risked and you tried and and you wanted to do something different and unique and something beautiful, and it all goes south, remember, not permanent, not personal. Have you noticed that when, when you are moving forward, that, that you begin to allow the world and the universe to define you and inform your, your dreams, that it begins to define you and inform you that you are a, a coward or a quitter or a failure, and that you're never really going to be the person that you hope you can be, that you're never really going to experience the life that, that God has for you, and, and so what you're left with is that you are left with you know being on the sidelines, watching others live out their dreams, and then wondering why, uh, why they Wondering why God hasn't allowed you to do yours. Because you keep experiencing a hurdle or a wall. And so we allow our lives to be defined and informed by our failures, by things that go wrong. And we internalize despair. If you're going to be a person that's going to live wide awake, you have to learn how to internalize optimism. You have to learn how to internalize hope. And sometimes it almost seems childish and foolish to, to be that person, you know, kind of polyandish silly, naive, but it's actually the person that you are when you choose to be connected into the tribe and the culture of God. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 for a moment. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in and, and great contests and in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, speaking of us, my righteous one will live by faith. But if they shrink back, I won't be pleased with them. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who believed and are saved. See, the the truth is is that even as a follower of Christ, some of you have gone to large gatherings and large arenas and large big productions, and and because I've been in sales most of my life, I, I recognize what I'm being sold some of you have been told that if you decide to follow Christ, all your problems are solved. Right? You know, if you have straight hair, it'll be curly. If you have curly hair, it'll be straight. And some of you, when you, when you came to Jesus, you took the risk of following Jesus. You took the risk that you were going to invite him into your life to change your life. And, uh, well, here's something random. Like this study hasn't been so far. How many of you have a favorite blanket at home? How many of you willing to admit it? Yes. Yeah. See, so, <laughs> I expected that from you, Lisa. But, but the rest of you, I, I'm disappointed, honestly. No, I'm not. Not that I have a favorite blanket, but I do. And, and, um, and it's blanky. And uh, not only that, but I also have a favorite pillow. Have you noticed that all your members of your family, or maybe your spouse, your pillow smells good, and theirs smells horrible? <laughs> but they like their smell of their pillow? Which makes you question their sanity. And uh, the best part of, of the of the year for me is always when it's cold. I, I mean, I, I've told you before. Some of you know this if you've been to my house. I, I like it cold. I like it dark. I want you know, no no light in my life. You know, to match my soul and. Um, <laughs> But there's something about cold, rainy weather that I always find more romantic. Don't you guys? I mean, aren't you saying this way? See, I think those of you who need sunlight to feel good, hey, it's a sunny day. You're just crippled. (laughs) You, you 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 don't even know. That's a cry for help. That's what it is. And, and the cold, and I love it when it's dark still, whether it's late, late, late at night or early in the morning. And, you know, and just to experience the sunrise or experiencing the moon and the stars. And it's just something about darkness and cold and rain that I find it easier to believe in God. And so I said all that to say that on those moments when it's cold and rainy and dark inside, the best part about that is being inside your house or in a car and you're having some uh, warm, hot drink, you know, maybe it's cocoa, maybe it's an adult beverage, but you're enjoying something you know, warm, whether it's by the temperature or the sensation you get, and, um, and that's all we want from God. Just make me warm and comfortable. You know, be my blankie, be my hot cocoa, be my hot toddy, but be something that's actually good, you know, and, and, and then so we, oh, you, you luxuriate in Jesus, he's so good, and then uh, you wake up and you're back into your life. Because what happens is that the truth is is that we meet God, and our journey in becoming the people that God wants us to be—the journey of living wide awake—begins where you are and where you met God. You, have you noticed that He doesn't exempt you from the life that you created? He doesn't exempt you from a life that's overwhelming, or a marriage that may be underwhelming, or a career that's less than stellar. Or decisions that you made that affect your body or your 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 position in life, you don't get exempted from your life when you meet God. You start your journey in becoming who God wants you to be at the place where you meet Him. Warts and all. And so it's possible from what this writer tells us that it's easy for us to, some of us, to just quit. See, when you choose to, to believe in Jesus, part of it, the, the momentum that's created is that it begins to push you towards a Jesus future, a God future. And hope and faith work together because hope begins to move you towards that future as well. You don't shrink back. You're not that person who shrinks back. And if you choose to not embrace hope, you you embrace despair. It's like the person who doesn't want to go to sleep at night because you feel your day has been... been been wasted and not enjoying it and you know that there's this horrible monotony of waking up tomorrow morning and it will be the same life some of you meet Jesus and you're so excited about what God is doing what you sense his forgiveness and his kindness and that's all that he or rather all you want but God asks us to expect more from him to actually experience his pleasure but we stop at just forgiveness we stop at just recovery we stop at just feeling slightly Rescued, and we don't move forward at all. And so, the writer of Hebrews, and for those of you who know better, you know it's Paul, realized that he's actually asking us to not shrink back. So, here's one of the first questions I often ask people when we had conversations because how you answer this question really will determine how you move forward. Who are you expecting to become? Who are you expecting to become? Who are you and who are you expecting to become? Now understand that the, the, the second that you stepped into this moment of God life, there was a change. There was a change forever in the universe, forever in eternity. The life you lived, you weren't exempted from. The decisions you make, you're still gonna experience the consequences of them. But the journey to becoming who God wants you to be starts where you met God, correct? But you're no longer that person you once were. As a matter of fact, Paul describes us as people who don't shrink back. We move forward, even when we seem to fail, even when we seem to uh, experience a setback. And so when you begin to answer that question, well, who am I? If, if you think that you're that person, you've been defined by the universe and by your family and by people, that I'm a quitter, I'm a coward, I'm a failure, then I, I know your future. It's dark. It's dark. But if you begin to identify yourself as the person that Paul says you are, I'm not a person that shrinks back. Then I know that you're the kind of person that's going to continue to move forward. It's just how life works. And it also tells me that if, if you know who you are, that you are not going to gear your, your expectations down to match the default settings of your life. How many of you have listened to iTunes? You have, you have iTunes, Right? I cannot not change the default settings of any electronic device that I get. And it's to the point where if you lend me your electronic device, or you show me your laptop, or show me your iTunes, or I will change your settings for you so that you will enjoy the experience better, because I'm convinced, I know. And my, my wife hates that, because she'll set her settings you know, to be a certain way, and then I'll play with her computer and set them the way that she should, any rational person would have them. And, and, um, but do you do that? Uh, are you the kind of person you go into someone else's car, you set the, you reset the settings on their conditioning? Yeah, I assume quite a lot when I go to people's cars. <laughs> I'm a guest. <laughs> you know, I set it and and all that. I love the kind of stuff that you could set that will uh, where you see things move. Because um, I'm easily amused, really, and uh, where you uh, like the equalizers on sound systems. So when you press the button, it goes to jazz or you know, goes to R&B or you know, goes to electronic or house stuff. And, or sometimes you just hit it and it goes to flat. Like the keyboard back there the tech guys play with, you know, they have a keyboard that they, it, the settings are set so they can hit it for voice or the music and the sliders move up and down. OK, here's the metaphor for you guys. As soon as you experience a failure or you begin to realize you're that person, you'll actually go back to your own default settings. I'm a coward. I'm a failure. I'm a quitter. I'm this. You you, you define yourself by your addictions, by your bad habits, by your previous attempts to move forward that have failed, and you just think, this is my life. And you begin to shrink back from what God wants. Now, you're content in experiencing his forgiveness. Oh, God, I can forgive me. That's great. He truly wants you to go further and to expect more. And so the author of Hebrews tells us something about these folks. And, you know, this is one of those times when people tell me, oh, if I could only have been there to see Jesus, or if I could only have been there the first days of this early movement, I, I would have been able to believe easier. And I think, no. First of all, no flushing toilets. So there's a first problem but second, also the idea that these folks experienced such difficult challenges that we never experience. And these, the author says, they experienced them almost gladly because they knew they had a better possession. What? It's Christ himself, the hope of our glory. Your weirdness, your darkness, your limits, your whatever you're, you have determined will keep you from experiencing God is not the limit of your life. God is the limit of your life. Now, I enjoy what he does here in chapter 10 as he transitions to Hebrews 11. So let's go there. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of what is visible. If you ever reached out to somebody, you're struggling, and uh, they give you that trite, cliche, spiritual Christian answer to it, which is, oh, you just need more faith. This is where you want to show your <laughs> your violent side and and reach across the table and choke them. Or you know maybe that's just me. It, 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 faith is not something like you muster up, like you know, like you're like you're trying to, you know, like work it up. I gotta believe. I gotta believe. You know it, that that's not what faith is about. Faith is not tricking yourself into thinking something is true that's not. Ever wonder sometimes? Um, especially those of you who are thoughtful and reflective, you you kind of wonder, am I believing a bunch of baloney? Faith is having confidence in a person. Faith is a conviction. A conviction that I can have confidence in the person I trusted my life to. That God is actually good. And that whatever hurt I experience is not meant to harm me, but is part of the journey. Faith is understanding that what is not seen or visible actually has a greater impact in my life than what I can see. Faith moves us towards God. Hope moves us towards the future. We don't shrink back. If faith is conviction, hope is confidence. And it is the, the sense of knowing that there is nothing that keeps me from God, including me. There is nothing that keeps me from God, including myself. And I, Keep your finger there in Hebrews because we're going to go back. But go to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. Romans 8, 37. Paul describes some difficulties that people had experienced, and he starts off with saying, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, have you ever thought of that um, that phrase, more than conquerors? I mean, because if you're thirsty, what conquers thirst? Water, right? If you're hungry, what conquers hunger? Food. If you're naked, what conquers nakedness? Clothing. But Paul says something that our conditions, our resources are more than, leaves us become more than conquerors in these situations. For I'm convinced, now here's, some of you maybe need to, to process this. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation, and you could put there in parentheses, including my dumb decisions, will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot shake God. You cannot shake his passion for you to help you and become the person that he dreamed you to become. <laughs> There's always horrible movie metaphors that I have in my mind because it's, you know, it's jumbled. I was dropped off in as a child. But I don't know why I always think of Arnold Schwarzenegger when I read this passage. Because of the Terminator. You remember, that, remember that Terminator 1 when um, the soldier from the future tells Sarah Connor he can't be stopped. There's no stopping him. You remember that? No? Okay, it's just me having this conversation up here. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, it's just like God's love. And I'm sure people were processing it differently. He's the terminator of love. See, you know what God wants is a bit of courage. But not courage pinned to nothing. But courage based out of the confidence of, of trusting him. When my, uh, when my kids were little, um, I had one son who would throw himself into anything and another son who was a bit more cautious. And, um, I, you know, I loved them both, but I hit my favorite a lot less. And, um, kidding. So I remember this particular moment. We were, I was at a swimming pool, you know, I was in kind of chest deep of water. Had the one son, jump, jump, you know, and he, I mean, before I could finish the second jump and threw himself, you know, because he knew that I was going to catch him. And the second son, come on, yeah, jump. Mm-mm. No, no, don't jump. Mm-mm. And he stepped back and he took a step back and you know, finally grabbed him by his ankles and pulled him into the pool, you know, but probably didn't instill confidence and trust in him. But it's recognizing that you can actually leap and that the hands of God will catch you, that you completely abandon yourself to the care of God. And I think for some of us, we, we don't trust that God is actually good that maybe he'll embarrass us or we'll look foolish or I'm going to lose some perceived value with my friends i get that truly i do but what if the life that he's calling us to was much more i guess that's the question are we willing to give up what we have or what we could have to give up the now for the future see If you really want to sense God's pleasure and presence, it might mean moving out of your default settings and taking a risk to live the life of your dreams. Let's go back to Hebrews 11 verse 8 and give you a couple of scenarios. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. How do you tell that to your family you know there's no there's no information that abraham had this horribly dark life or that he was exceptionally good it just god speaks to him and says abraham i want and by the way i would have loved that conversation wouldn't you abraham abraham up here dude (laughs) you know and how do you know the voice and then he's interacting with this person i want you to pack up and leave I'm going to show you a great land. You're going to be the father of a nation. You're going to be something. Oh, awesome. Where are we going? Head west. I would have loved to hear him speak that to his wife. Babe, I've heard from God. This is awesome. Who's God? I'll tell you later. But the point is, is that there's, we're, we're, we're going to get this great, uh-huh, you know, all this stuff. And Which way? West. He didn't know where he was going. Don't you feel like you're part of Abraham's tribe now? Let's go back to verse 9. So by faith, which is, I have confidence and, and, and trust that this God is good and that I can trust him and he's not going to harm me. So by that confidence, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know, for most of you, for most of you, your biggest problem is not going to be uh, leaving a life of such evil and darkness, because you were so lazy, you weren't even committed to sin. You just lived the life of, you know, whatever seemed to happen. You were like water. Wherever you went, eh, this goes well. Oh, I'll try this. And you just weren't happy. And so you risked and you trusted your life with Jesus, and you asked him to be part of your life and to change your life. And then you kept living your life. You know, it wasn't, wasn't too much drama. Things worked sort of okay. And see, the challenge for you is that you're going to be asked to leave security and what you already know for a life that perhaps you don't recognize. You're going to be asked to leave security for a life of risk. In fact, what's funny about us? How many of you? Complain about maybe being bored. But you hate change. I hate my job. And you never look for one. I can't stand what I weigh. And you don't either go to the gym or, or lose weight or whatever it is you want to do, right? I can't stand my hair. And you just let, don't change it. One of my sons um, is a little bit lighter than my wife and I. Bluish eyes and like hair. When he was, when she was born, he was, you know, way white, you know, like a bino. And uh, <laughs> uh, put it back, it's not done. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the, the joke in the family was, you know, whose kid is this? And, uh, and all that. And my suspicions were aroused over and over again. His coloring, he never wore glasses, all of us did. I remember as a child, he was putting twigs and and, and leaves in his mouth, right, you know? Now, Michael loved fruit. Again, an indication that's not my child because my children, like their father, love candy, chocolate, and pastry. I could live on candy, chocolate, and pastry. I will miss meals for candy, chocolate, and or pastries. And pancakes. But mostly pancakes. So, Mikey... He, he loved fruit and, and fresh fruits, and, which comes from dirt, so I don't know if you can trust it. And, 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 and so Lilia was trying to get the stupid twig and dirty leaf out of his mouth to give him the fruit that she' had prepared and cut for him. And he fought her. Now, if you get that metaphor in your head, understand that you're like my son sometimes. you'll hang on to something that you really don't want. For fear of the change or the better thing that God has for us. We want excitement and adventure and romance and beauty in our lives, and then refuse the gifts that God gives us to us. We want our lives perhaps to have meaning, leave a legacy, something adventurous, something grand, something that makes a difference. And look, here's what I'm convinced of I know that you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to be successful in life. Some of you are quite successful in your lives. You do okay in your career. You do okay in your physical life. You do okay in relationships. You know how to create wealth and management. You know how to handle relationships. You know how to do life well. That's fine. You don't have to be a Christian to be, have a successful life, but you do have to be a Christian to have a life that matters. Because you will find sooner or later that all those things will still leave you empty. It's not that... It's not that you're being punished. It's just that you're not built for that only. And if you have these great gifts to live life well apart from God and a distance from God, you will have an incredible life with God. And your life will matter far beyond your lifetime. But it takes faith, which means I have confidence in the God who's asking me to live a life of risks. Have you ever wondered, um, thought about why you have the job you have? Why you live in the city you live in? Why you have the relationship you have? It, you know, I, I started my job in sales because someone said they thought that I was, could talk people into doing things. And so I thought, hmm, maybe sales. And um, so I spent most of my life doing that. I, it was a match. I mean, I've been able to leverage that ability. But, you know, some of you, I know you have the jobs you have because you just stumbled into it. Your uncle hooked you up and you never left. Some of you have the life you have because you just fell into it. And you've never left it. You've never gotten off to consider what God has for you. Now, some of you have made the right decisions. But why, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it the default? Well, this is, what I could, this is what I should expect. This is as good as it's going to get. It's not if you're a follower of Christ, he actually has an adventure for you. See, wouldn't you have done with Abraham? Maybe he didn't do, wouldn't you have said, well, hey man, thanks for speaking to me, I I get it, but um, I'm looking out at the horizon out there, I don't see anything out there, and I see a city here where I do live, so um, why can't I just experience you here? And that would have been a reasonable question except that he was headed for something bigger than what the city he lived in could have provided for him. So for some of us, our biggest challenge is leaving behind security and certainty. But for others, it's even worse. Let's go to verse 24, the same chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And so he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking ahead to his future. And so by faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. You know, I know that it's popular to be a victim so that um, whether it's your race, your gender, your lifestyle, choices you've made, poverty, you know, everyone's trying to out-victim somebody. And um, the one that most of us can default to is our family. Oh, my dad. Oh, my mom. Uh, you know, I wasn't held enough, nursed long enough. My father this, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm this, I'm a dad. And, and it's always the family, right? It's always your parents that screwed you up. I've often joked with people that I, I, you, know, I said, you know, I listen to their sorrows, and I, with all the compassion of a pastor I can muster, I, I often will think, it's time to go to Spiritual Home Depot and, and buy some tools and some lumber, build a bridge, and get over it. Because all of us have experienced something. That doesn't go over well for some people, oddly enough. They don't realize the beauty of the wisdom that I'm just giving them. I didn't have Moses' problem. I didn't have the people who I thought were my parents be the murderers of my parents. I didn't grow up one day and understand that the people and the home and the life that I knew, the culture that I loved, murdered my race. And Moses comes to this moment of dysfunction in his family having to think, I would rather be a slave of Pharaoh than a son of Pharaoh. I I wonder what his nights were like when he was processing that, beginning to discover who he was and then recognizing that these people, his uncles, his aunts, his mom, who thought it was his mom, he was being prepared and groomed for leading the nation I can't do this. You're Remember that moment? You're just about to step into that moment of your life's planning and then you realize, I can't do this. And so, you know, taking off the makeup and the scented oils and the, the, the prince garments and then leaving the marble palace and linen and then put on the life in the garments of a slave. See, some of you are going to be asked to leave power and wealth behind. And it'll be maybe more painful than the life of certainty and security. Because the strange thing about owning stuff and the strange thing about God's kindness in our lives, when God gives us the ability to create wealth, manage wealth, and you buy stuff and see, this is not let me make very clear, this is not a statement about money and wealth. In fact, those of you who know how to create wealth, get busy making more money and doing more good with it. But the challenge is that sometimes God's kindness becomes a golden cage, golden handcuffs, and we refuse to move forward because we don't want to leave behind the stuff that we got. And it's a risk. And then we come to realize something tragic about our lives, that the stuff that we thought we owned actually owns us. And we're almost identified by our stuff. I've often wondered, you know, could I leave behind whatever I think I have and own if it meant that I would experience a greater future with God? And I want to say yes, but I've had those moments where I've wondered And so this is a question we have to continue to ask ourselves. Who do I expect to become? What is the life that God has for me? And if he's asking me to leave behind power and wealth, can I I do so? Now, you're Moses. See, I I would have thought, well, look, God, you planned all of this, float down a river, Moses, you know, the... Mom, I get picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh. I mean, I'm in this house. I mean, wouldn't I serve you better being on the inside than working my way out as a slave? I'm going to have a lot less influence as a slave versus a son of Pharaoh. I mean, step back, God. See the bigger picture here. I'm much more effective in the palace than in the fields. And God tells Moses what he has told Abraham and what he tells us. You can choose this life if you wish, but I'm asking you to expect more. And for some of us, we won't risk unless we know the outcome. Unless you're guaranteed success, I won't move. Let's go to verse 32 and 39 of the same chapter, verse 32. So the author goes on to say, hey, well, what more shall I say? I I don't have the time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice and they gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quelched the fury of flames and they escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Stop here. Some of you, and I feel it when I, sometimes it's in the email, sometimes it's face-to-face conversation. Some of you, you're starting to get like a hazy glimpse of your future and you actually will go back to your default versus stepping into it and moving forward into it because it frightens you. And you even feel maybe even arrogant in thinking that God would use you or work through your life. And you begin to wonder, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just a foolish dream. And if you would listen to what God has for you, if you would expect more than what God has already done for you in your life, you will live a life that will amaze us. You will live a life that that actually, absolutely amazes us. And you will be a benefit for humanity. In fact, your life will far exceed any influence than you ever dreamed was possible. But there's a flip side of that story. If you're the kind of person that likes to mark things or you know highlight stuff, this is where you should make a mark. It's this word right here others. But others were tortured. and they refused to be released. It's not that they couldn't, but they refused so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by a sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, and this world was not even worthy of them They wandered in deserts, mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Verse 39. And these were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised. I understand that sometimes following what God has for us is not going to be the success that others would value. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit difficult for me to think in terms of my life is hard when I know the lives of other people. That's one of the benefits of reading history, one of the benefits of, of being involved in the lives of other people, who people who do the right thing even when it means that they lose perceived value from their friends and their family. I um, Think about people who have made serious sacrifices to do the right thing and still lost. And and this one verse alone is the one that seems to color everything else I read about this is in verse, um, the last half of verse 35. They they refused to be released. It's not that they couldn't. It's just that they chose, I can't deny the person who cares for me. See, some of you, some of you are going to be glorified excuse me some of you will glorify god and bring honor to him by the great public success he will make of your life and some of you will be god will glorify himself and honor himself by your faithfulness to him in the backdrop of of great suffering they're both the same story to god god is not limited by success He's not limited what seems to be a failure. He's not limited only by what does goes well or limited by what seems to go poorly. And this is why in many cases when I see folks speak of their faith here in America, it's always mingled with the Western American notion of success. Have you noticed? You know, you're gonna own a home, you're gonna have a great car. You're going to marry that perfect person. You're going to have a super job. And that's not always God's plan for us. So the question comes back to, am I willing to give up security and certainty? Am I willing to give up wealth and power? Am I willing to give that up knowing that God at times has provided these very things to me? and then asks for them back because he has something more. What's funny is that there are some things that have more value and more impact and offer more hope in tragedy than they do in success. Now, I've said before, and I've experienced this over and over again, I've learned very little about myself or God in success. When things go well and life is good, there's just very little that I've experienced that's very powerful and deep that actually has shaped my soul in success. Where I've actually understood Christ, where I've actually understood God further, has been in moments of sorrow and what appears to be loss. But unfortunately, I've been prisoner sometimes to the opinions of other people instead of living the life I knew I was supposed to. Let's go to the beginning of this chapter and we'll close with these final thoughts. Hebrews 11, verses 4 through 6. By faith, confidence, and trust in who God was, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did, and by faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith Enoch was taken from his life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, without confidence, without trust, that knowing that God is good, he doesn't harm us. Without that kind of faith, without that kind of belief, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. The first time I was asked to pastor a church, the, I mean, it was almost immediate in my mind. I thought, I'm going to have to take a cut and pay. <laughs> I wish I was more noble. Wish I had better reasons, but that was my first thought. My my wife had just started working outside the home uh, after the first 17, 18 years of our marriage, and, and it was a huge bump in the income. You know, from wife not working to the wife working, it was a big increase. You know, we we'd actually would have bean and cheese burritos with cheese. And um, <laughs> did Dad get a raise? And uh, I, I, I was how old was I? 44, 45. I was walking up and down the streets thinking about this for a week. Like of all times. My wife just started working. We had been about a year or so, so we had a chance to really experience that income. And uh, I I didn't want to do it. This is the thing that drove me to it. You know those moments when somebody you respect and love affirms you as a person? Maybe it's a coach, a teacher, or a parent, or your spouse, someone you really love. And they point out, wow, you really did that well. Or you look great. Or, hey, this is a really well-written essay. Or, man, you worked on that car. And and they just affirm you. you In the craft that you do, the master, the person who knows, they just affirm you. Music, whatever it might be, right? Now, I'd had my moments where I sensed God's forgiveness and his acceptance. But now he was asking me to step into his pleasure. And that was different for me. Because I was used to being put up with and that was, a, that was my understanding of God. He puts up with me. My parents did. My wife does. So does God. Expecting more actually means, at a very powerful, significant, and real level, that you not only experience His forgiveness and experience His kindness, but you experience His pleasure. did you ever have those moments when you, when you were a kid you thought when your parents would tell you that they loved you I, I thought well you have to I'm your kid and you don't have a choice in the matter and at some level that's true when you're a parent you just automatically love them no matter how ugly they are we're no. you love your kids but, but what's surprising at times for our children to understand is how much pleasure we take in their lives when, especially when they do well and they thrive and seeing this is the pleasure that God actually calls us into, expecting more. Are you, um, are you guys operating in default mode? Are you shrinking back? Are you withholding? Are you afraid to jump, to leap, to abandon yourself to God's care? You can actually expect more and enjoy God because he wishes that we would move beyond just forgiveness and beyond just kindness but to experience his pleasure. And that will help you live a life wide awake. Hey, let's pray. we got some announcements for you afterwards here too. Father, is this how you treat your people? That you would be so kind to us that even moving beyond uh, forgiveness and wiping out all our moral crimes and even beyond restoring good things into our lives and giving us friends and family to experience your love for us and living in a world that's full of beauty and art and music and dance and romance and great food and these wonderful experiences that you've allowed us to create and enjoy now you even move us towards and you call us towards a future that is your pleasure so father i pray for folks that you'd help us have that kind of conviction that we can trust you, that you don't mean to harm us, and that when it seems that life has taken away the things we once thought were so important and were meaningful to us and gave us meaning, that you actually have something more planned. I thank you that we're not forever going to be the people we are, that you move us towards a future, that is beyond what we can imagine at times, and that we can have a hope in you. I pray for folks who are doing the right thing, maybe discouraged, that you remind them of you and help them see you clearly, your beauty, your kindness, your love. I thank you for being the God that calls us to live a life wide awake. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.